0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Resource Real Talk about Louisville Real Estate. I'm your host, Jay Pitts. I am joined by Mr. Phil Wunderlich and Luke Andrews, both pod leaders on the J.T. Pitts & Associates team here at RE-MAX. Uh, welcome, fellas. Thank you for joining us. How y'all doing? Doing great. Right? Thanks for having us. Awesome, man, awesome. So, so today we've got an interesting topic that we're bringing to you guys. Um, very, very excited. Uh, to bring you three bulletproof strategies for succeeding in today's Louisville real estate market, as you well know, if you're a real estate practitioner, and that's who our audience is, so obviously you do know uh, we're under an extreme inventory shortage. You know, we've got the the COVID nineteen pandemic that hit, you know, in March that you know really put a strain on an already you know, extreme sellers market with very little inventory. You know, what our research has shown us is that going back even to last September of 2019, we saw a steep shortage start to uh, a steep decline and, and resulting shortage in inventory start even back then. Now, we know that the real estate market is cyclical and we know that, you know, more listings come to market in the spring and summer than in the fall and winter. But this was this was more disparate than usual. Okay, even fewer properties came to market than typically did. Strong demand and even stronger demand at the turn of the year and into 2020 uh, continue to kind of double down on that trend. And then since then, sales have remained strong, demand has remained strong through the pandemic, but fewer and fewer homes have come to market. So, you know, what we found in coaching our agents here at the brokerage, brokerage, uh, myself as the principal broker, Phil and Luke as leaders. Um, what we found is that we needed to provide our agents with the tools necessary to win. It's, we're working twice as hard for the same money. And we know that winning one multiple offer situation, you know, saves you from countless hours of future work, um, not to mention a happy client, right? We know that finding an additional listing means all, an almost, you know, assured sale. Okay, we know that presenting and winning in a competitive environment ensures you those opportunities. So, so we felt that these were three specific tactics that we needed to bring to you. Um, we've also been, you know, like I said, giving this message to our audience here in house. So, happy to bring it to you. So, Luke, let's kick it off. Um, let's let's talk about your database. Okay, so f- identifying the listing and the listing opportunity is paramount. Um, now you gotta be able to get the listing and we're going to talk about that in a minute once you, once you identify the opportunity, but we know that there's a lot of external influence today with today's sellers, right? There may be, you know, fear of the unknown with the virus and all that type of thing that keeps them from reaching out and making that initial contact that they would have otherwise. So when you're looking at your database, what, what are some, some very simple ways that you can look at your database and find listing opportunities. Why don't you share that with our audience?
1: Absolutely, Jay. And, you know, from a, from a macro perspective, I think really looking at social media as a whole is a great place to start and just making sure that you're, you're putting out there what you do on a daily basis the clients that you're helping who's having success out there. Um, you know, especially during coronavirus, social media media use is at an all time high. Um, but from a micro perspective, I think removing that shotgun approach of just putting it out on your timeline, out on your story, and then trying to be a little more precise and a little more surgical about it. Um, uh, you know, this is, this is what I did in a previous life was really I- identify target markets and figure out how to market to them. Um, and you know, one of, one of the first thing we did is really try to break people into groups or personas. Um, So what I've had some good success doing is taking my social media, my friends list, and then try to try to look to see who might be in the market for buying or selling over the next few months. Um, So what I've done is I've kind of taken a list and really just started working at the top um, with who is most likely. um, And really, they're starting to look at life changing events. Uh, So first and foremost, who has a growing family? Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess that the best way to put it is probably who got pregnant during quarantine, you know, who's, who's adding somebody to their household, whose space might be getting a little tight right now. Um, and then looking to make that move up. Um, you know, secondly, I like looking at my friends who I know live in a hot part of town, um, in hot price points. So, and it's, it's really just kind of kicking off that conversation of, Hey, You may not have even thought about moving, but would you be willing to sell if I were able to get you X dollars for your home? So finding your friends who you know live in those desirable areas that you have clients looking in. Then I start looking because I I know on our team, I I do, Jay, you do, Phil, you do. We work with a lot of investors. It's starting to look at the investors that I know and the investors that I'm connected with and start thinking about who might be willing to liquidate at this point. Who's looking to pull some cash out So, that's a great way to get uh, potentially three, four, five, six listings all at once, um, stuff that's going to sell relatively quickly. Then I start looking at who recently got a new job, who got that promotion, who started with the new company. You know, likely did they get some sort of a pay increase where they might be willing to to look at moving up here uh, fairly soon. Um, Then I start looking at, you know, kind of the opposite of the growing family and who has a bit of a shrinking family. Uh, With us being kind of in that summer, kind of fading out of school and then moving into the fall, um, you know, who has kids that may be going off to college this fall? Um, So they've got a smaller family at this point or whose kids just graduated college and are going to really be out on their own. Who might be looking to downsize at this point? Then if you're an agent who's been in the business long enough, I start going back to prior sales between four and seven years ago. Um, kind of that four to seven year mark is where the typical cycle is of when people start looking at moving again. Um, so, what sales did you do? Which buyers did you help four to seven years ago who might be looking to make a move at this point? Um, and then I, I know there's a lot of people who are who are probably listening right now and they say, you know, that's fantastic, but I'm newly licensed. I've only been in the business for a year. I don't have those clients in my database. Well, there's nothing that says that you can't go back through the MLS. And just filter for homes that sold in those price points that you're high on. Look for homes that sold four to seven years ago and just start reaching out directly to those people. I mean, that I, you probably know better than I would about what the percentages are. I mean, I, I think we all hope that anybody that we helped before would automatically come back to us. But the truth is most agents just aren't good at follow-up. And so a client who buys a house with one agent there's a good shot that they're going to list and buy with somebody different because they just completely forgot about who they worked with before because that agent has forgotten about them. So just combing through old transactions four to seven years ago and reaching out directly um, can, can be a big help with those.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, those, those are all amazing points, you know, and it's funny what strikes me is that it's not entirely different than what we should be doing under more normal circumstances, identifying, you know, so, uh, this proven strategies work in good markets, bad markets, tense markets, you know, um, new normal markets, et cetera. Right. Like those life changes are what predicate or um, what predicate moves. You know, what do they say? Growing, you know, babies, marriages, divorces and deaths. I mean, those are the things that that create real estate transactions in a lot of cases. Um and, and I like your point about reviewing old sales. I might add a caveat to that. Um, you know, it's not that difficult through public record information in the MLS if you're an agent to find out where your sphere of influence is living, even if you didn't sell them that home. You still know that person, okay? You can't assume that they don't want to work with you. I think you should assume the opposite, that they would like to work with you if you show them how. So, um, you know, if anything, what has been cut by you know the pandemic is extraneous work, right? Like people are just not available for you to do the BS anymore, right? Like they want results. Like like we go to the grocery store and we open the hatch and people put the groceries in our trunk and then they close the hatch and we drive home. Like we're not we're not milling about the stores um, for fun anymore. Th- this can be applied to real estate, I think. So Luke, I think you makes you make some great points. Phil, um, I'm curious to know your thoughts and um, if you've got any sort of different approach than what Luke talked about with respect to filtering your own database because I know your, your businesses and approaches are slightly different. Yeah. Um, what say you?
2: I, I, think, I think Luke's spot on in, in figuring out who you need to talk to and it's not, you know, depending on how big or how small your database is, to do those things Luke just mentioned is not terribly difficult it can be time consuming if you have a large database it can not be real time consuming if you don't have a huge database but i think we can all agree the hardest part is probably then starting the conversation picking up the phone figuring out okay now i know who i want to target now what right and so i think there's a couple different approaches in it and it's based on you know what group do these people fall into if it's an investor relationship and it's business you can just pick up the phone and say hey i think it might be a good time to cash out. What if I could get you this for these rental properties if they all appreciated, you know, by $20,000 in the last five years, what do you think? Let's let's cash you out or let's get you into different properties or what have you, you know what I mean? And that's that's a very easy, straightforward conversation. They can either say, sounds great, I'd like to talk more about it, or no, these things are cash flowing, I love them, it's great, it's part of my long-term plan, I'm gonna hang on to them." you know? that that's easy but i think there there are certainly people that that that's probably not the right approach you know you don't want to call your friends that just had a baby 3 months ago and probably have a good bit of equity they don't know about and just say hey I want to sell your house like the, a, a softer you know a, a different approach maybe maybe better i mean you can call obviously now more than ever, it's important to just reach out to people that are important to you and check in and see how they're doing. There's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are are scared, nervous, whatever. Like I said, uncertainty in, in a lot of different ways all over the country and certainly in our city right now. And calling to check in is, is one, the right thing to do, but two it gets a conversation going. They're almost always, I mean, people are fascinated by real estate, right? And so they, if you're calling them, they probably at least know you're a real estate agent. They're going to ask you what the market's doing. They're going to ask you how your family is. They're going to ask you how work is. And it's going to, the, the conversation almost certainly will steer towards real estate at some point. And if not, the next conversation will. And if not, then you checked in and you did the right thing and you checked in on somebody who, who, supported your business or who supports you in some way and and it's all good and but it's a way to open the door to have the conversation to to see if it'd be something they're interested in you know and from there if you you know if that's not it if you've got a buyer client which you know if it's all agents in louisville here that are listening for the most part you know how tough that can be right now finding them something good if you sold someone a house that's perfect for a buyer that you've got three, four, five years ago, and you know there's equity there. Why not pick up the phone and say, Hey, I know this is weird, but I've got someone pretty much looking for your house, and their budget's 25 grand more than what you paid for it, and it's worth 25 grand more than what you paid for it. Would you be interested in at least talking about it? And then you're creating an, an easier transaction for your buyer when it's been extremely difficult, you're creating an easy transaction for the seller. When we all know selling your home is not terribly fun, especially during a pandemic, selling your home is not terribly fun. You know, if you can get one person in and and both sides know and trust you and it can be a smooth, easy deal and everybody wins and you're the hero, that's not bad. You know, and you're putting more money in your seller client's pocket. You're finding your buyer client a house that works for them when it's been frustrating and difficult. And everybody, everybody views you as as the person that made it happen, and and then maybe the person that the the seller client that you sold to now has an opportunity to upgrade into a softer price point that's not quite as competitive. That's a great
0: point. I I mean, you know, we we we've talked about the haircut philosophy on the you know it might be a trim today, like it's not exactly a haircut, but you know, moving selling in a in 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 an incredibly active escalated price point and moving into a somewhat softer one is still a good financial situation, especially, you know, if you've been sitting around for three months, you know, staring at the same walls that you're not in terribly, you know, not incredibly thrilled with, you know, you've been doing home improvements because, you know, you've had the time to devote.
2: I mean, these are things that are on people's, my homeowners' minds, Phil. Or you just found out you're going to be working from home forever now. And you need some more space. I mean, I have, no, I exactly that have had their, their companies have huge. said we're, we're staying at home. Yeah. We're
0: downsizing our physical footprint and, and, and you, you are now at at home and at home telecommuter. Yeah. I mean, that, th- those are, th- there will be some new normals that develop from this. We have already seen it. Um, I think you're, I think you're spot on with the anxiety that people are feeling. Um, but I also think that they don't know what they don't know there are more people out there willing to transact for the right situation if it can be done safely, which, you know, we're not going to probably get into safety precautions and measures, maybe a little bit on listing presentation, because that's going to be a, a uh, you know, an objection that you're going to get. But, um, you know, if, if you're, if you can, if you can offer a safe solution to a problem that they have or that they perceive, if you can um, illustrate why it's financially not just feasible, but desirable for them to make a move right now. It may not be something they thought was quite as possible. Um, They, at least at the very least, even if they knew it was a seller's market, they're probably not aware of how pronounced the seller's market is. You know, I mean, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle and repetitiveness since we've been talking about, you know, historically low rates for a decade, but like, no, really they're historically low now. Like, Like negative, negative return on bonds. Like it cannot stay this way. Right. Um, You know, you're talking like 30 year fixed with a two in front of it, potentially. I mean, that's, that's stupid. But anyway, I digress. Phil, a lot of, a lot of great points there, man. All right. So, so let's, let's pivot from identifying you've identified the people, right. Um, You've looked at the life, the, the, the life changes, um you've you've approached them with empathy and, and on a one to one like Phil and Luke both said um you've helped them understand you did the right thing by being the person that reaches out um and 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 they took it there right which they will i i want to make sure our audience understands that the reason most people don't call their database is because they don't know what to say and they don't want to come off as a sleazy salesperson but the truth is, is if you call and invest in them personally they're gonna take the conversation from that place to a place of business because they want to invest in you the same time and they know it's important to you. Okay. Yeah, if you're a likable a of reciprocation. Yeah. If you're a likable human being, people want to reciprocate, okay, the positivity that you're putting out. And when they know what's important with, with you because you've trained them to know, okay, they're gonna ask about it and it's gonna give you the nice, easy transition into real estate. So let's say it went there. Um, and, and you ended up with an appointment to go sit down and consult with them. Um, what, what happens then? What are we, um, and this is for either of you with either one of you can go first, but what, what happens then when you show up, okay. And now you're dealing directly with their fears, concerns about the specific, not considering it like the execution. Like, what do you present to help them understand that you're the best person for the job okay? Because there might be competition or they might even be wondering whether it's worth hiring and aging the market so hot now. And and how do you make them feel safe in the midst of, of that anxiety that we talked about before?
1: Well, I, I think for us, it's we've we've had a lot of success on our side using what we affectionately call a J-ism, um, <laughs> which for, for those on the podcast who, who don't know, a J-ism is just it's, it's something that Jay has just said so much that it's been ingrained in all of us. Um, you know, we, we say it kind of with a smirk and, and jokingly, but we use it because it works. Um, it's, it's so unbelievably simple, but it's unbelievably effective. Um, and don't get me wrong, just because it's simple doesn't make it easy, um, but it's, it's unbelievably simple. And you know, that Jayism is, is sitting down in a listing appointment and just explaining to the seller and it really boils down to there are three things that sell a house. You know, number one is exposure. And that's exactly what you hire me for. Um, to make sure that we get your home not, o- not only in front of as many eyeballs as possible, but getting it in front of the right eyeballs. Um, number two is going to be appeal. And that's kind of the, the buyer's homework. Just making sure that, uh, you know, the expectation that we set through photos and descriptions is matched the buyers come through the house. And then finally, number three is price. Um, You know, exposure is something that I have a lot of passion about. It's very near and dear to my heart. As I mentioned earlier, that's that's really where my background is. Um, You know, marketing and data analytics, and you know, exposure is. It's really just what are you doing differently that's setting yourself apart from all of the other agents out there. And you know, a, a phrase that I love, something that we learned. You know through some of the training and coaching that we've got we, we've studied a lot of nlp which is the neural linguistic programming um you know using that the body language and tone and words that we have um you know i start by just kind of say hey you know what the average agent does and during that time i'm shaking my head no i'm kind of pushing my hands away from me and think what the average agent does is they take what i call a passive approach to marketing you know they're just." taking your home, they're putting it on the MLS, they're putting a sign in the yard, maybe even posting it on social media but it's a very passive approach. So just putting it out there and hoping somebody's gonna come to them. Now what I do, and that's when I start shaking my head yes and kind of pulling my hands towards me. Now what I do is I take a very active approach to selling your home. Um, Not only am I going to do those things that the other agent does, um, but I'm also going to do A, B, and C. Um, and this is really where, you know, your specific marketing plan kind of comes into play. What are you doing specifically, like I said, that sets you apart from all the other agents? You know, for us, it's all about our, our targeted marketing campaigns that we have. Um, but I realize that not every agent out there does it the exact same way or has the same budget that we do. Um, so it's really just about identifying, you know, what are the key things that set you apart and making sure that you're selling those.
0: Yeah, so so you're really just you're illustrating that funnel for them, right? Like, despite the fact that your home is going to sell ra- rather quickly, um, given the current situation, in the market it doesn't it doesn't change the responsibility of the agent to to maximize that, and we still do that through maximum exposure, right? So, Absolutely,
1: and you know if it, let's say that you could just even sell it on your own as a for sale by owner and put a sign in the yard and throw it up on Zillow and you get five showings and two offers, yeah, that's great. But with the right marketing approach and the right power behind it, what we're going to do is that five showings and two offers could turn into 15 showings and five offers. And I can just about guarantee you that with five offers, you're going to get considerably better terms and price than you would with just simply those two offers. That's the value that I bring as an agent.
2: Yeah, love that. Phil, got any comments on that? I mean, I think it's just key to, like Luke said, understanding not everyone does it the way we do it. Not everyone does what we do. Not everyone spends their money as much of it or in the same place as we do. But it's important to know what you do well, what you're able to execute at a high level and what your value is to this person other than sticking the sign in the yard and putting it on the MLS. Yeah. And we we pride ourselves on the way that we market and, and the investment we make in marketing but for those that do something different or feel like they bring value in a different way or market in a different way and excel in different ways, be prepared to deliver that confidently and competently. And, and don't say you're going to do things you're not prepared or willing to do. Do the things yeah. you say you're going to do and execute them at a high level because if you do those things, then it's easy to present that in a confident way because it's what you do. You're just telling them what you do. And and don't reinvent the wheel for yourself. Like know what you do well and what you, how you crush it for your clients and deliver that confidently. Yeah, no,
0: those are, those are both phenomenal points. And you know, those are very, um, those points are, are made uh, irrespective to a competitive situation though, right? Like you bring your best foot, you put your best foot forward, you bring your a game to that presentation, which kind of takes you to the place of, you know, objections, which you may, you may get an objection, um, in this type of scenario, whether it be in a competitive or a non-competitive situation, regardless, you know, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking about a listing presentation if we didn't at least touch on objections. So, so, you know, there's a couple of objections that I see as, as incredibly relevant right now. Um, Phil, I, I, um, I hear you. I hear your specific spin on how you go about selling houses. Luke, I hear your analytics, right. Um, and your exposure. And I appreciate the counsel you've given me on pricing and the counsel you've given me on, on appeal. That's fantastic. You know, but the house is going to sell in six minutes, you know, are you willing to cut your fee? Right. That's going to be something that you run into, right. What do you guys, what do you guys have have to say to that?
2: I mean, I, th- I think it's a fair question. I think it's a, it's a fair question. It's going to be on people's minds in the market conditions that we're in, you know? Um, But I think what I would tell someone is if you're going to do that, then just do it yourself because what you're, what you're paying me for is allowing me to make the investment that I need to actually do all the things I just told you that I do, And that's what drives the results. If I'm not able to invest in the marketing, then we're back at like Luke's example, then you're back to your five showings and two offers, depending on the house, or your three showings and one offer, and or your five showings and four of them are unqualified because it's um, just a for sale by owner on Zillow. Versus you, you pay me what one I'm worth and two I need in order to execute the things that I told you I'm going to execute and why you should hire me. And if you believe that that's going to drive the best result, I need a full fee in order to execute that for you. Love and, if, it. and if you're not willing to, or you think you can do better without it, I understand that, but I can't do what I just told you I can do without a full fee. If,
0: if you're watching on YouTube right now, um, or, you know, or, or any of our, our outlets where we, where we run the podcast, I hope, I hope you noticed this large smirk that came over my face. The instant that Phil started talking, um, I don't even know if he realized it, Luke, but, um, did you, did you happen to notice Phil's tone and his choice of language? Even though he's talking to me, he's not even talking to a seller right now and it wasn't really, you know, positioned as a, um, you know, as a role play type scenario, but he instinctively dropped his tone, softened his tone. He empathized with, I can understand why you would, I, you know, I can understand why. So, so what, what I to about that is is that you know phil's understanding is rooted so deeply in experience uh, in handling these objections that he immediately went to empathy he immediately went to a softened tone and understood the is not just the words he chooses and he, and he explained very i mean that could have been an objection handle like a, a consumer could understand that explanation right it's
1: and because he believes it deep down that's yeah. that's where phil's passion and that's what makes him one of the best in the business right now is that it didn't need to be an actual client sitting in front of him. It didn't need to be an official role play situation. Nope. It's just what he believes. That was an innate, innate and internal. That wasn't coach speak. That wasn't practicing a script. Um, no, it's not selling when you believes. believe
2: it. That's right. That's not right. If just it doesn't make sense for what so he you believe, deliver, you, you can't sell it.
0: Yeah. If you can't, or you can't say it. If, if you don't believe it, it, you can't sense. say it. Yeah. So no, that's, that, that's incredibly important. Um, and, and, you know, w- we haven't really gotten there yet. Maybe Luke will. And, and so well, how about this? How about I just ask you about it? Luke. So Phil, Phil, um, just talked about, you know, uh, overcoming a, pr- a commission objection with, with value. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. with value that was kind of lent towards performance. Um, but, but, you know, every once in a while you're going to get that, you know, kind of commission objection, um, a, and you're going to get it like attributed to a discount. You know, Phil, Phil um, preframed or deframed, excuse me, not a preframe, he deframed, which is a, uh, a commission handling uh, technique. He deframed the FISBO in that situation. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. He said, if you're going to do that, you might as well do it yourself. And then, and, and I didn't catch it, but he might have even shook his head no when he said it. Okay. But, but you're going to get the discount discounter situation too, right? When I, and what what do we always say? First you hire me to be a marketer and second you hire me to be a negotiator. So once you talk to the audience about how you handle that, that, that commission objection in the, in the realm of comparison to discounters.
1: Sure. And you know, first, first I, I usually start it with saying, Hey, look, I understand that your house is, is probably going to sell very quickly. This is usually where I'll, I'll compliment the home and say, hey, you guys have done a phenomenal job with this place. And it is going to photograph well, it is going to show extremely well, and I do believe that we're going to get multiple offers very quickly. Um, however, my job doesn't end with an accepted contract. Uh, the commission that you're paying is not just getting a contract on your home. The commission you're paying is for getting you through to the closing table and getting you a paycheck at the end of the day. Um, So I, I usually start there. And then I'll finish it. Depending on the person that I'm talking to, sometimes you can really hit them with some truth and say, hey, look, if I were to bend this easily in the first meeting that we have on my pay, on my commission, how well do you think I'm going to be able to negotiate on your behalf when I've got five offers coming in? If I've got another agent who's trying to push back to get the best deal for their client, because that's what their client has hired them to do. If I'm willing to bend and break right now, one hour into us meeting each other, how am I going to do under the stress and pressure of multiple offers that are out there with other professionals who are trying to get the best deal for their client? I want to go to work for you. You need to have confidence in me that I'm going to be able to stand my ground and then I'm going to be able to get you every dime that you deserve and not prove anything on the
0: table. Yeah, no, that's incredible. That's exactly I, I, that. That commission objection is probably the most effective, right? If you have to, if you have to, you know, pivot and speak to your negotiating ability, that is probably the most effective way to do it. Um, you know, I often when comparing discounters, I say, look, you know, discount, fee equals discount service. That makes total sense to people, right? Full fee, full service, right? And, and, and that usually resonates, right? But even if you have to get granular, you can make it numeric for them, okay? Your house is worth, two, you know, in the neighborhood of $200,000. That means, you know, we're going to pay 3% to a buyer's agent. That means I get 3%. That's 6,000 bucks, um, you know, the discounter is going to charge you one and a half, right? That's $3,000 savings. What are your bet that I'm based on everything I've shown you today can outperform discounter, which is below average service. I've already shown you that I'm well above average. What do you, what, what do you think the disparity between above average and below average, what's your bet? It's more than 3000 bucks. And that makes sense to people, right? And then you can always come back to your stats. Luke, um, and Phil often use where, you know, 2% more and 27% faster, right? That's Those are our team statistics. You should know yours. All right, that's great. So, um, so now we've talked about filtering for the lead. We've talked about um, getting the listing, okay? Let's pivot and go to the buy side and we got about 10 minutes because we don't want to run too awful long for them today. Um, winning a multiple offer situation. And I know what I think. Okay. And, and I'm, I guess I'm fairly, probably fairly certain our audience might know what I think as well. What is the single most important factor in winning a multiple offer situation when you're representing a buyer?
1: Phil, so you want to jump on that? I, I know you, you had a comment about it before, before we jumped on here recording and I, I thought it was fantastic. So yeah. you, you
2: want to continue on with that? I, I think, you know, Obviously, besides the the dollar amount attached to the offer, it's, it's your ability to communicate with the other agent. Figure out what's important to the seller, what terms, what nuance can you add to your offer other than the dollar amount to make your offer most attractive. Do they need, you know, they both work third shift. They need more time to respond. They need a week of post-closing occupancy, like what, whatever it may be. The, the ability to communicate and build rapport, not just communicate but build rapport with the other agent is probably going to be your single greatest ally by a wide margin when trying to win in a multiple offer situation.
0: Well, I, I, I agree. Luke, you got anything to add to that? No, I mean, I, I
2: think that's
1: that's perfect. you know it's what we call agent back channeling and just talking to the other agents about what is most important to to the seller. Um, You know, I I went through a phase recently where I won three straight multiple offer situations. um, All because of agent communication with the listing agent. Um, And two of those, we weren't even highest price. We found out what other terms were important to the seller that nobody else bothered to ask. And the third, we were the highest price. But the only reason we were is because I flat out asked the agent, where do I need to be to win? And they told me we beat it by 500
0: bucks and took the contract. Nobody else bothered to
1: ask the question.
0: It's, it's pretty crazy. And I, and I a thousand percent agree. Um, You know, there are no questions really that are, I mean, I'm sure there are inappropriate questions to ask. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep it moral, ethical and legal and, and and don't be, uh, you know, infringing upon those, those fair housing guidelines. But you know, Asking a seller where the price needs to be is not out of bounds. You may feel a little funny about broaching that topic, but I assure you they favor directness over trying to indirectly land or or, or hit a moving target. Ask
2: the question. Phil, you got a comment on that? No, you said it may feel a little funny. It doesn't feel funny after they tell you. Exactly. (laughs) When
0: you realize that they
2: don't care. And they're like, oh, wow, I
0: can't believe people don't ask this question.
2: Their their job is to work in their seller's best interest. And usually that's to get them the most favorable terms for them. And a lot of times that's to get them the most money for them. And if the seller says, yeah, you can tell anybody who asks where we want to be, then do it. And if if the agent says, no, my seller doesn't want me to disclose that, fine. you're, You're just trying to do the best for your client just like they're trying to do the best for theirs. It kind of, it kind of goes
0: back to, it kind of goes back to like that, conver- that, that discussion we had just a bit ago, um, the beginning of this, this, uh, this recording where you call your seller, you don't call your seller cause you don't know what to ask. You got to get over that. Like, so, so they say, no, I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable telling you. You say, well, you can't blame me for trying you give them a smile and say, okay, what can you tell me? But I mean, literally it's that, you know, mm-hmm. humor is disarming. Uh, have some charm about you. Um, go at it in, in not such a transactional way. You can be direct and charming at the same time, right? Like, hey, Phil. Um, you know, I so saw you're listening on one, two, three main. Look, I got to get this under contract. What do I need to know? Yeah, You know, I mean, my guess is, is that if delivered appropriately, your confidence is going to show through, Phil's going to appreciate you for wanting to win. There's one thing you can guarantee about winners. They appreciate other winners. Okay. And they don't like working with losers. Okay. So, so when you identify yourself to a winner as a winner, you're going to get, you're going to curry favor.
2: And, and Um, odds are in this market, if it's an agent with a desirable listing, like they're probably a winner too. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and, they, and they've been in the same boat as you. And so if you come direct and ask the right questions, they appreciate it because the, you're doing exactly what they would do in order yeah. to work with their client. You know,
0: another, another piece of advice would be just to, you know, if you're a busy, if you're a busy agent, you can appreciate this, right? If and most of our listeners are, they're high producing, you know, individual agents or new team leads, um, you know, your time is valuable. So don't waste it. Don't waste the listing agent's time. They're about to embark on 24 to 48 hours of stress. Be the solution, not the problem, okay? Because the truth is that agent wants to do what is easiest for them, but they're not not—they're not going to choose that if they're good. They're not likely to choose that over their client's best interest, okay? But if you can align their client's best interest with what is easiest for the agent, okay, they're going to go to bat for you. They're going to advocate for you. Now, we could talk, you know, you know, give a bigger down payment, make your earnest money non-refundable, waive your inspections and appraisals and all that stuff, right? All of that. All of that is effective when you come from a, a positive terms perspective, right? You can always overpay, okay? The real talent in this industry is, like Luke said, winning when you're not the highest offer. You know, helping... Make a difference for your client that the use of another agent wouldn't have allowed for. That's where you really win. You guys, got any comments on that? I, I mean, I, no, think, I, mean
1: I, I think it's I, very well said. Yeah, very well said.
0: Well, we're we're just about out of time, guys. Any any uh, any parting messages? You're welcome to it. Um, you know. Uh, I I can't, I can't underscore enough. And there's like not even a distant fourth. Um, These are the three most effective, most crucial things that you should be focusing yourself on in residential real estate right now in the Louisville, in the Louisville marketplace. And, And for that matter, regionally, and most, most places around the country right now, we have, we have, you know, pent up demand that is being unleashed on critically low supply. Very simple understanding of microeconomics tells you that prices are inclining fast and homes are selling quickly and all the leverage is in the hands of the seller right now. So that means you should have more listings if you expect to be successful and you should learn how to help your buyers win. These are the three ways we've identified for you to do that. Um, and, and these two guys that have joined me here today and give you some of their thoughts or, uh, you know, folks within our brokerage that have proven to be able to do just that guys. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Hey, one more parting shot and just, you know, uh, for myself as if my ego needed a boost, I became a division one athlete today. I don't know if you guys heard or not. That's why I'm wearing my, that's why why I'm wearing my school colors. No. Bellarmine University made the move to Division One starting on July 1st. Nobody heard that? Well, yeah, but it, it was – Where were they in four? Where were they we, – we, it's a Division One school, Luke. That's what it is. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> so I am now the caliber of athlete that Phil – now, I was never a professional, but I'm the caliber of athlete that Phil Wunderlich was. I'm just proud to say.
1: I'm, I'm still in AIA.
0: No, I I thought that was really funny. Like I had Scotty Davenport uh on on our other podcast as a guest and he he told us the day before the announcement. Um obviously we kept it quiet, but he goes, Yeah, you'll be a D1 athlete come this summer. And I was like, son of a gun. I didn't believe (laughs) that. Anyway, uh guys, really do appreciate your time. Uh thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for educating our audience. Folks, we appreciate you tuning in, whether you're, you know, on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or any of our podcast outlets or whether you're watching the video on YouTube or any of our social channels. We appreciate you. We always appreciate those five-star reviews as well. If you're in our private Facebook group, give us a comment. Let us know uh, what you think of the episode. If you're not and you would like to be, feel free to find me. I am not hard to find. you know, Google the name and you can get your way to my inbox. Uh, I'm Jay Pitts, host of Resource, Real Talk About Louisville Real Estate. For Luke Andrews and Phil Wonderlick. we will see you next time. Thanks. See
2: you.